This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, amen, let's crack on. Um, we're going to look at heat, heat and roots in this session. So if you want those little diagrams in front of you, if you find that helpful, we're going to look at these two elements of being a disciple maker. Heat, uh, remember your circumstances and roots are the way you live, what you feed on. So we're going to do heat first, your life and circumstances. Jeremiah 17, as you remember, says that heat comes to both trees trees but only one thrives and one struggles so I want to show you how we can use all of life as a way of growing and changing the number one thing that I would want to teach you is paying attention to your life all of life is an opportunity for God to change us and we're encouraged to pay attention to what God is up to instead of life just happening to us. So 1 Timothy 4 verse 16 instructs us, watch your life, pay attention to your life and doctrine, persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourself and your hearers. So listen, every circumstance in life is a potential discipleship moment. And the greater your awareness, the more you can cooperate with God and become more Christ-like. So uh, this is a, a way of thinking about the Christian life that has been around for hundreds of years. Augustine put it like this, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, then I may know thee. And the idea there is greater knowledge of God comes from a greater knowledge of self, and a greater knowledge of self comes from a greater knowledge of God. Those things work together. And I find a massive hindrance to people being disciples is that they're simply not paying attention. That life is just sort of washing over you, and it's a bit like as we turned up in worship today, you're suddenly, you're here and you take a deep breath and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, God, prayer, Bible, it's been all over the shop. You've just not been paying attention. And so all of life is a moment for God to use to disciple us. So how do you do that? How do you use these moments? Those moments when you're in your downstairs cloakroom crying because you've drilled a hole in the wrong place. Like how do you use these moments? Well on your charts, can you flip it over to the circle with the arrows? And I haven't come up with a fancy name for this yet. So if you think of one, let me know. But this circle of life, circle of change, whatever it is, this is like a really helpful step-by-step guide to a way of making each moment in life count as a discipleship moment. So it starts with the green. It starts with recognise. This is all about recognising what God is doing in the moment. This is perhaps the moment you suddenly see that you've sinned or that you've reacted badly or just something feels difficult. And when you recognise what's going on, you realise what it's revealing about your heart. 
So you're aware something has happened and something is going on on the inside. It's the way you're responding to a moment. So in the bathroom, I'm there and my moment of recognition is I've sinned, there are thorns in my life, my reaction is far bigger than a hole drilled in the wrong place and I realise it. it's because in my heart I want to impress people and never make mistakes. It's a moment of recognition. This is far bigger than just the outward appearances. I've taken what's happened in the circumstance and internalised it. I've recognised what's really going on. So listen, two key questions that are worth writing down are what does your response to this situation reveal about your beliefs? I don't know if I've got up there. So what does your response to this situation reveal about your beliefs? That's a great question to ask yourself. What does your response to this situation reveal about your beliefs? And what lies are you believing about God, yourself and others? So what does your response reveal, your response to the situation reveal about your beliefs? And what lies have you been believing about God, yourself and others? If you just start there, when you know that something in life has happened that needs a bit of reflection, a bit of time to process, a bit of time to think about, those are two great questions. Recognise the patterns in your life where you've been hurt or you've believed a lie, or you've responded in an ungodly way, and ask the Holy Spirit if there's any part of the gospel you're not living in the light of. The key is asking, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did that situation play out in the way that it did? And get to the heart, get to the place of wounding, of unbelief, of difficulty. So I run different discipleship groups and one guy was coming regularly to the group he was really doing well but I used to set homework and I used to ask these guys to read a chapter of a book and to memorize a bit of scripture and to fast on the odd day and do some little spiritual disciplines and basically he just wouldn't do any of them and so after several weeks it was getting quite frustrating that he was just not engaging with what everyone else was doing and we finally got to talk about it together and we already knew because he'd sort of told his story a little bit that his dad was a very demanding father and expected very high standards and as a result he was a bit of a perfectionist so he would only do things if he knew he could do them well and so it was really fascinating when it came to the spiritual life and the Christian life if you're a perfectionist trying to be a Christian you basically are stuck because no one is perfect. You will not get 100% on the test. And so an easier way to cope with it is not do it at all. And so for him, he wouldn't engage with the homework in the group because he kept on saying to himself, well, I haven't quite got time and I really want to read this book well and I don't want to half read it and I, and I don't want to let anyone down, so I'm just not going to do it. And so instead of just me crunching down onto the behaviour which was, you are not participating in the group like everyone else, pull your finger out, work harder, we actually needed a conversation about how God deals with perfectionists and the fact that Jesus was perfect for him. 
Jesus was perfect on his behalf. That means he can come to the Father in his imperfection because he's in Christ. And he needed to believe that. He was believing the lie that God would only really receive him and we would only receive him if he was perfect. Does that make sense? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? And that was the heart issue for him. And so that moment of just not reading his, the book that I asked him to read, it would have been easy just to stay with the thorns of him not doing it. We needed to get to the heart. And so we needed to recognise what's really going on. And that's why your threes are so good, is because I imagine the hope is that you bring your life moments into those groups and unpack how you've dealt with them. Like what it's revealed about your heart and what lies that you're believing. And you know, if you start doing that as a church and that becomes something that is just a normal part of doing life together, then you will suddenly have a discipling culture because everyone is paying attention. You're not just letting life happen to you, but rather you're seeing every moment in life as an opportunity for God to sanctify you and change you and use you. Everyone with me, yeah? Makes sense, great. So secondly is a thing that we often miss, but it's responding emotionally. And it's asking the question, how do you feel? This is a Psalm 51 moment when David has sinned and he pours out his heart to God. You need to give yourself permission to express how you feel. Do not just dismiss your feelings as untrustworthy or irrelevant. I can remember chatting to one pastor in our family of churches who just said, we don't do feelings. Because in his mind, they're just not, they weren't trustworthy. It was all about faith and believing God. And what he felt was just got in the way. But I'm going to be teaching on this in a bit. God's created us with emotions. He's an emotional God. And they're good things. So listen, it's important that we have a moment to express the emotion where perhaps we've been hurt or perhaps we've been disappointed or to truly say how we feel about God in this situation or how we feel about others. For us to say, you know, so again, I'm doing my DIY, I've messed up and in that moment where I literally cry out because that's how intense I'm feeling the emotions, I express that I'm frustrated and I'm angry, I'm embarrassed, I'm gutted that I'm even getting these feelings. And I'm gutted that I've treasured people's opinions so much of what my house looks like that it's causing me to respond like this and be unfriendly towards my family. God, please forgive me for believing those lies and expressing my anger inappropriately. It's so important. You recognise what's going on and then you let the emotion out. Um... If you don't know what to do, if you're, I mean, this is, happens to both sexes, but particularly guys. Uh, I mean, I'm living and working in Yorkshire. Uh, Yorkshire men do not show any weakness or vulnerability, generally speaking. And, you know, I, <laughs> the normal, the normal Yorkshire man. You guys are doing, you're so godly, you guys. But, uh, what we say to people is that if you really don't know how to process your emotions, you use the Psalms. The Psalms are, you know, Jesus' songbook for expressing his worship to God, but also expressing how he feels towards God. And they give some very uh, 
uh, the way to describe it is they give you grooves to run down when you don't quite know how to express your emotion. They are God-given roots that have been well-trod, that respect God, that are fearful of God, but let the heart sing and shout and let it all, let it all out. Um, so if you have unexpressed pain or unexpressed disappointment or grief, it is not a healthy thing. It's not a godly thing to sort of pretend that stuff doesn't exist. No, I'm going to be a godly person. Everything's fine. But there needs to be a safe place in everyone's life where we talk about those deep hurts. And you don't have to pretend God can cope with the scale of your emotion. And generally speaking, I find the men I disciple have not learned to do this. And so it has meant that there's a whole sort of dam full of emotions that need to be let out and generally men are no emotion and then every now and then there's a huge spike of emotion and then it flatlines again and the huge spike of emotion generally is either joy or celebration so if you're into your sport and you know I've kissed men before when we've celebrated a goal and things like that you know you just everything comes out dancing around cheering or it comes out as anger, and anger is a very easily expressed emotion. And so you have guys that you spike and then nothing. And obviously that's just not a healthy place to be. And if you're not healthy emotionally, you're not going to be healthy spiritually. Because we're whole people. And so we'll speak about that in a bit. But if you're someone who gets angry very easily, or every now and then you get angry and then there's nothing then that's a massive hint to you that you are not dealing emotionally with life. You're just pushing it all down. Amen? Yes. Amen. Okay, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Don't get excited. Next thing you do is repent and forgive. Repent and forgive. This is where you ask God to show you anything you need to repent of and anybody you need to forgive. And it's important that you're very specific at this point. So downstairs in my bathroom, I am turning from seeking approval from others and I receive your forgiveness. That's what I did. I just prayed that prayer. It just sort of came quite automatically. God, I'm turning from seeking other people's approval and I receive your forgiveness. And you know what? When you repent, it's always a joy because you are turning from your way and getting in line with what God wants from you. And what God wants from your life is always life to the full. And so repentance, getting in line with God's uh, sort of agenda for your life is always a joy. It's always a privilege to get to do that. And it's in that moment you need to recognise what's going on, how you're responding emotionally, and then you turn from it. And in the process you ask forgiveness from God and you extend forgiveness to others. Then you renounce and you announce. You expose the lies you're believing and declare biblical truth. And what I have found over the years, and it's biblical precedent, 1 John 1, 7, often exposing the lies you believe about God and about others totally breaks their power over you. So just getting a lie out into the light and saying, this is what I'm really believing about God, it's almost embarrassing when you put it out there because you, you just see how feeble it is. But when you do that, the light of the gospel gets to shine on it. So again, I would pray, I reject the lie that I'm worth what people think of me. 
I declare that according to Romans 8, nothing can separate me from God's love. I'm loved unconditionally by you, whatever my DIY ability. I know it sounds like really petty and small, but it is a heart issue for me. And so you will all have these issues that seem embarrassingly insignificant to you, but there is a deep work that God's actually wanting to do in the everydayness of life. So I discipled one young man who, because of a number of reasons, everything he did, he thought was wrong. So it was a very, very uh, disempowering lie that he believed. So every decision he made, he thought he was wrong. So everything he did in life, everything he tried to do, he just thought he was making the wrong choice. And it was a very powerful moment for him to realise that that's the way he was living. Because he was unaware. It was just that this like tape would play in his mind. Every time he made a decision, this is the wrong decision, everything's going to go wrong, I've, I've not heard God, whatever. And it was very powerful for him just to bring it before God and just say, I renounce the lie that every decision I make is wrong. And I declare that I've been given the mind of Christ and that I'm in Christ. And so before God, as I make choices, I can make wise choices. James says, if you ask for wisdom, believe that you're given it. Um, There was a wonderful moment uh, just a few months ago with a mum who's got grown-up kids she was struggling with her self-worth because her kids have forgotten to phone her on Mother's Day. So the kids had sort of left home, they were cracking on with their own thing, and she she sort of of confessed, I feel really bad because it's already five o'clock and none of my kids have phoned me. And it was really interesting um, for her it's so important for her to recognise the reason she felt down all day was that she was dependent on their love and not securing God's love for her and her ability to, uh, to be able to stand in a secure place when kids' affection waxes and wanes, changes. So renouncing and announcing is a really important part of disciple-making. Then lastly, receive and believe. Invite the Holy Spirit to heal, to fill, to transform and bring freedom. I receive your spirit, your love and forgiveness, your power to change. That's the prayer. And as you allow God to heal you, you'll find he'll reveal his goodness. Power will come to his truth. Love will flow. Freedom will start to come. Forgiveness. All of those things. And again, we've opened the door to our heart by going deeper in this place so if we're going to truly disciple others we need to pay attention to their stories and promote self-awareness and emotional engagement so you know what happened to me in the car so I did all this stuff in the bathroom got it all wrong I was in a right grump we got in the car to travel somewhere and Pip and actually my youngest son started to disciple me and they said why don't you tell us how you're feeling and so they always say, I feel really bad because I want to impress others, blah, blah, blah. And then they just walk me through this little circle. And my youngest says, Dad, we think you're brilliant and you're great at shopping and stuff like that. And, um, and he was trying to sort of speak the truth to me about who I am and what I'm good at. And it was a lovely little thing that they did. Pip just walked me through and she got me to say, well, okay, what's the lie you're believing? And what is the truth about how God feels? And how, how do you feel about this situation? So don't let 
yourselves become passive spectators, like letting life happen to you. Surface living is so dangerous for the Christian. You know, just letting your life happen to you. But your job, if you are going to be a disciple maker, is to firstly get hold of your own life and walk with God and then become someone who helps others pay attention to what God is doing. So that's the heat. That's dealing with life circumstances. Any questions about that? Anything you want to ask? Anything you just want to know a little bit more about? Anything that's not clear? Matt? So you're in the situation you, and you just haven't got the time to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I would try and do as much as I can in the moment, but I would definitely sort of mental notes, I need to deal with, I responded really badly or I can't believe how gutted I felt about that or you've recognised that you've reacted in a way that surprised you and then you revisit it and personally I like to go away on my own journal and then find someone I really trust and talk it through and get into an even clearer place some of your verbal processes you're rubbish at doing it on your own you need someone to talk it through with and others of you are much more internal process, so you like to just go away and never talk to anyone. You just want to sort of do it yourself. And so it depends as well on how you're wired as to how to do it. The important thing is you get to it at some point. If you just let it roll, then you've, you've missed the moment. And all that emotion will stay there, all the unforgiveness, all the heart issues, the lies you're believing never get touched by the gospel. And, but that is how most of us live, isn't it? We just, something happens, and then we move on. And the next thing happens, and we move on. Yeah. On the same sort of stuff, how often do you feel like, oh, I'm doing that one again, and I'm doing that one again, so it's like a DIY or whatever it is. Hmm. How often do you feel, if you're a disciple of yourself, oh, I'm doing that one again, I'm responding in the same way, I'm repenting it, I'm repenting yep. It's a great question. So do you find you do the things again? So the way you know you're changing, the way there's fruit in your life, is that you start to recognize what's going on earlier. So to begin with, you'll recognize it after it's happened. Then you'll recognize it during it's happened, during it's happening. And then you'll recognize it just before it happens. And then you'll recognize that it's not a problem anymore. So there's a whole process of dealing with the issue there. If you're stuck in afterwards, the aim is to try and recognise it during. Anything else you want to ask? Abby? So the question is, does it need to be in order? It doesn't need to be in order. 
it's, I would say I've put it, I would say I've put it in the most logical order because sometimes it's hard to forgive until you've actually connected with how you feel about a situation. So you can say, I forgive so-and-so, and it's easy because you've not touched the pain. But if you touch the pain first, then you actually are forgiving something. So there is a logic to it. But as long as you're doing something on these lines, you're, you're good. Yes? <laughs> to run away and <laughs> do it, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know the situation, but if there's an angry outburst, how do you deal with it? Um, if it's a regular thing, then you can set some ground rules for the angry person. And so you want to, you want to be able to diffuse the anger where possible. And the person who's getting angry needs some help because they don't know how to express what's going on. So I think if it's a regular thing, you have some little house rules. If you are angry, you go to the garden and you come in when you are ready to talk or ready to process. Or you, some people have a sign on a fridge that they grab that says, I'm so angry, I want to punch the wall. And they go and grab the sign and they just hold the sign. And, it's, and it just means that everyone in the house knows I am don't touch you know <laughs> have some of you got that sign already um, so this cope yeah okay so there's different ways to, to help the situation but if I was discipling the person who got angry I you know I would want to talk about what are the triggers to the anger what makes you really angry and then I would keep asking why why does that thing make you angry why does that particular thing kick off, make you kick off like that. And I'm not a counsellor, so I'm not talking about counselling. I would send people to counselling if I'm out of my depth, but generally I would just keep asking people why. Why do you do that? Why did you respond like that? What's going on? Um, I I mean, it's such a huge question, that. But I think there's a way of dealing with it in the moment, and there's a way of thinking about how do you get this person to the heart of the situation? Because the issue is not the anger. There's something in the heart that's going on. Yeah. Can I yep. So, in your church culture, yeah. probably very mixed, but at the best of it, is there like a culture where if somebody's not recognising, so let's say I'm, I'm doing something stupid and I'm not recognising, yes. would there be a culture in your church to say, well, how would we just need to talk? Would, would that be something you'd encourage? I would hope. Yes, yeah, so we would really try and foster a culture of good confrontation. So we all have blind spots. We all have stuff that we don't actually realise we are sort of handling situations sinfully or inappropriately. And so we need trusted friends that will come alongside and say, hey, you know when we were doing the washing up and you were just talking about that person, you just, it was just gossip or you were just really, it was clearly you've not forgiven them or you, you were clearly hurt by what they said you know what's going on there and the hope is this isn't this isn't about you lying down on a couch and having a professional counsellor talk you through your issues this is about doing life together as a community and having some safety to say I've noticed this about your behaviour can we talk about it and there's a whole thing we could do in terms of speaking the truth in love to each other 
But if, you, if you're up for this, why don't you ask your closest friends to say, um, I'm really serious about growing in Christ-likeness. If there's anything you see in me that you think is ungodly, could you tell me? And I know when I go and stay with friends that I trust, I'll say that over the weekend with my kids and as we hang out, if you see stuff in me, I really need you to tell me. And so that might just be a good agreement to have. Um, okay. Let's talk about some roots. So there's lots more to do with heat, but I just wanted to pick one thing. I'm going to pick one thing for, with roots. Roots refers to the way you live, what you feed on, and what you invest your time into. And something I want to talk about is the spiritual disciplines. These are all the different activities that God gives us to become more Christ-like. They're things that we can pick up, embrace, and use to be transformed into the image of Jesus. They're spiritual disciplines. Um, when do we finish this? 12.30? About that. Okay. Okay, great. Um, how many of you are old enough to remember The Karate Kid, the film The Karate Kid? It's, there's been two versions, isn't there? So there's been a remake with Will Smith's son, and then there's the original, the good one. Okay. The old one's the best one, by a long way. You got it. And that's the story, okay, is that Daniel, he's getting bullied, he visits Mr. Miyagi, he wants to teach him karate so he can defend himself. So he turns up ready to be trained, and he says, okay, I'm ready for my training. Mr. Miyagi says, okay, uh, you're not going to get into the dojo with me, rather I want you to go and paint the house. And so he spends the next week painting this guy's house up and down, up and down, up and down. Turns up the next week, okay, I'm ready, you're going to train me. And Mr. Milgi sort of turns to the outside of his house, I want you to sand the deck. So he spends the next week sort of like sanding the deck, sanding the deck. And then the third week, he's had enough, he's like, come on. And Mr. Milgi says, I want you to wax the car. And so there's a whole sort of like car park full of really dirty cars. He spends wax off, wax on, like all week. And then at the end of... sort of week three, he's like, Mr. Milgi, you know, I came to you to learn karate and you've not taught me anything. And suddenly Mr. Milgi, this little sort of man, he suddenly transforms and says, Daniel son, defend yourself. And so he runs at him and attacks him. And as he goes to punch, Daniel son suddenly waxes off. And as Mr. Milgi goes to kick him, suddenly he's standing the deck. And he's suddenly sort of living in this karate world, able to do what he couldn't do before by doing some simple exercises. And that is what the spiritual disciplines are. They're things that are in, are in, that are in our power that help us do things we can't do by willpower alone. So another way to think about a spiritual discipline is um, if my kids are in the kitchen and they know we've made some cake or we've got biscuits, generally we hide it on the top shelf. And so if my kids come into the kitchen and try and get to the biscuits, they stand on tiptoes and everything, jump up, try and get it, they can't get it. But obviously they're very wise, my kids, and they will just drag a stool or a chair over. They will stand on the chair and reach the biscuits and eat them. The chair is the spiritual discipline. It's something that's in their power that enables them to do something they can't by willpower alone. And that's all the spiritual disciplines are, what we can feed on in our lives. Things like prayer and Bible study and worship 
Bible memorization, celebration, fasting, solitude, simplicity. They're all chairs in our life, things that are in our power that transform our life. So let me just illustrate this. If over here, I'm someone who struggles with pride. So I'm full of pride. What would be some of the thorns in my life? What does a prideful person look like? Look down on others? Think I'm the best? Critical? What else? Easily offended? Because they think they can do it. Yeah, unrealistic view of themselves. What else if I'm full of pride? Unwilling to serve? Unteachable? Rude? Arrogant. Okay. I'm a prideful person. I want to be the opposite. What's the opposite of a prideful person? Someone who is humble. Now, I cannot just think I'm going to become a humble person and in one almighty leap get there. What does a humble person look like? What's the fruit of a humble life? Kind, servant, service secure, not judging, gentle, not self-obsessed. Okay, I'm not that person. I'm here. I want you to disciple me. I need my roots to feed on the right things. What things can I do in my power that help me get somewhere that I can't get by willpower alone? What do I do? Can you help me? I'm a prideful person. You've got to the heart. What can I do? So, serve. So I could serve on a Sunday. I could serve... What would be really powerful? I mean, what type of service? So, hidden service. Doing stuff that no one else gets to see. What did you say? Prayer. What would I pray about? Pray for the Holy Spirit to heal me. And what would be a really good thing to spend my time praying about? Others, not myself. So, I, so perhaps there's things you could give me. I could pray for you, you know. I could just get out of my own world. What else could I do? Bible. Bible's a, a lot of books. Get to know Jesus. So where do you go in the Bible to find a humble Jesus? John, washing the disciples' feet. Philippians 2, which is a great hymn about how God sends his son Jesus who humbles himself and becomes a man, becomes obedient unto death. Anything else other spiritual disciplines? I could say that again, Abby. Oh yeah, so read books on what humility looks like. Often, if you're full of pride, you just don't, you think a humble person is like a slave or someone who's a doormat and often you have a bad image of who a humble person is. Hey, look. I've done the walk. You've given me things in my power that help me become something I can't just do by willpower alone. Should we take one more? Give me an issue that you're struggling with. I mean, a friend. A friend is struggling with. Anything. Insecurity. 
So over here, I'm an insecure person. So the thorns in my life are worry. What am I worrying about? What people think mainly. Comparison to others. So you want to find a benchmark for where you are in life and to find your worth. So you, you always find people lower than you. Yep. What else? Driven because you want to achieve so people like you. And achieve in a worldly way. So, so the blink, so you, yeah, so you, you see what the world says about success and things like that and, and use those means to get it. Okay, what's the opposite? It's easy this. A secure person. So what's a secure person look like? I'd miss that. Content. So I'm happy with what I have. I'm kind. Why am I kind as a secure person? Very good. You don't need anything from others, so you're free to give it away. Kind to others. Encouraging others. You're not threatened. You hear that? It's a really good word. A secure person is not threatened. I'm what? Open to people. And yet, and if you're secure, you're happy to be vulnerable because you're secure in God's love for you. Okay. Most of us are here. Help me. What things are in my power, what spiritual disciplines could I do to help me become a more secure person? Memorize what bits of the Bible could be particularly helpful for me. So stories about how God raises up weak people to give you hope. What particular truths do I need to hold on to as an insecure person? Fantastic. Fantastic. So, you know, to hang out, Romans 7, Romans 8, well, Romans 6, 7, and 8 are, is a great place to go in the Bible. Howard? Well, we sang about this morning, didn't we, about being a son rather than an orphan and being a victim of me. So, being a son, not an orphan. Knowing that you're loved. I mean, if the most important person in the world loves you, then it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. That's true security. That's great. So you're redefining how you become a successful person. You realise it comes through weakness and vulnerability. Is there anything practically I could do? Yeah. That is a great suggestion. Spend time with people that are secure. Ask them how they became that sort of person. Talk about what they believe about God and about themselves. This is brilliant. This is the number one thing an insecure person has to do. Because if you're insecure, you do not want anyone to know you're insecure. You want to hide. You, you, don't, you run away from weakness. So the first thing is you've got to start talking about it. You've got to admit that you feel this way. And unless you take that step, you know, it's, it's like a barrier to your heart. All this stuff that you're advising me. And change comes. Now this walk sometimes takes 50 years and sometimes takes a week. What's great about it is that it's not about the chair. God is not interested really about the disciplines. He's interested in the person you're becoming. So I pick and choose my disciplines 
and when they grow old, I just choose a new one. God is not there with a sort of a clipboard saying, tick, yeah, they did their quiet time, tick, they memorized the right verses, tick, they spent some time in solitude. That's not how it works. All this does, all the disciplines do, is when you take the choice to use a discipline, I want you to imagine like a waterfall of God's grace coming down. And all you're doing is you're stepping under the waterfall of God's grace because it's in the presence of God, it's in the grace of God, that's the thing that changes our hearts. It's not this thing, it's this thing. And so you can do whatever you like in this thing, unless God perhaps might say you need to do this for a season. But generally speaking, the disciplines don't count as brownie points in heaven. God's not that interested in this. He's interested in where you're going. And so the reason I I am very practical about this is... For all of you, you, once you get into a place of awareness of what your issues are, what the bags you are, you've got to imagine the person God wants you to be, and then you can pick and choose the disciplines wisely. Many of us do the same old routine in our quiet times and stuff like that, and there's no intention with it. We're just reading our Bible through the year, or we just have got the old prayer list, or whatever it is, and it's brilliant that you're even doing that. But can you see you can be a lot more focused with the disciplines you're doing to become the person God wants you to be, given the issues that are in your heart? Does that make sense? But again, it's not about the discipline. It's about getting under the waterfall of God's grace. And that's why it's a cooperation. The waterfall flows in this place, not here. So you need to step under it. God doesn't ever force himself on us. There needs to be a yes to God. I want this God. And picking up the discipline means you get to receive the change that he wants to produce in your life. That makes sense, yeah? So roots, what you feed on, really, really important. Um, The last thing I want to say about um, the roots is spiritual disciplines and you need to think about the disciplines you're doing right now and then obviously as you disciple one another the disciplines that you're helping other people to engage with the second thing i just want to be clear on in terms of roots is that disciple making happens life on life the word disciple in the new testament literally means learner and refers to someone who doesn't just learn what their teacher knows but becomes the kind of person their teacher is. So Jesus told his own disciples, anyone who believes in me will do the things that I have been doing. Not just know about them, but do the things that I've been doing. So a disciple of Jesus is someone who is loving Jesus and learning from him how to be like him. They're spending time with him. And then they're helping others do the same. So it's a learning project, discipleship. Now, there are three main places that we learn stuff in life. There's the classroom, and that is this setting. And the classroom is pretty effective, or the uh, church on Sunday, wherever you are being taught stuff, that's a pretty good way to learn. But a better way to learn would be to do an apprenticeship. An apprenticeship is where, for a short period of time, you come alongside someone and you learn from them. But an even better way to learn is through immersion, is when you spend all your time with someone. So you all know, don't you, if you learn a language, it's quite good to do it in a classroom. You go so far. 
It's even better to do a two-week trip to Paris and start to speak the language. But an even better way to learn is to bring your kids up in the country and they just learn as they go and they're immersed in the culture. And so disciple-making happens best when it is life on life, when it is immersion. And the New Testament simply calls it one anothering. And hundreds of times in the New Testament, we have that word, one anothering. And that is where Christ-likeness really starts to happen. And so we often think discipleship is about mentoring, where you have a mature person and you have a less mature person, and this mature person mentors the less mature person, and that is what discipleship looks like. There is a little bit of that in the New Testament, and it's mainly the Apostle Paul as he invests in his work with fellow workers. And you think immediately of Timothy. But the majority, the vast majority of New Testament life is one another. Which is a case of, um, Joe, when Paul says, as I follow Jesus, follow me, He's not talking about mentoring there. He's not like, there's Jesus, here's the Apostle Paul, here's Timothy following Paul who follows Jesus, here's Timothy's elders who follow Timothy, who follow Paul, who follow Jesus. But rather, Paul is saying, as I follow Jesus, come and stand next to me and follow Jesus like I follow Jesus. And that's one anothering. It's calling people to Jesus together. And in church life, so many people say, well, I'm not... I've never been discipled, or I've never had a mentor, or I've no, had no one invest in me. And you need to know there is a bit of that in the Bible, but the vast majority is that it's done through friendship. It's done through people coming alongside one another, one anothering. 1 Thessalonians 2, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So make sure there is a part of your friendship where you talk about spiritual matters. You never, ever stumble into disciple-making. You have to be intentional. So for Pip and I, on our date nights, when we go out and spend time with each other, there's always a time where we initiate a conversation about how we're doing spiritually. Because we just want to make sure that we're discipling one another. Um, with my friends, I've said to you that, that it is just part of what we do together in our friendship is that we speak into each other's lives. And some of you in your friendships, you need to pop the question. You need to say, can we talk about how we're doing spiritually? Because often in church, it's so funny, we talk about everything else apart from how we're really doing. And with a trusted I'm so glad you've got the threes. That's a safe place. And then what happens is, in the threes, you have your real place of vulnerability that comes over time. So for those of you not in a three yet, you need a close friend who will love you, accept you. You cannot force that relationship, but that's something that comes over time. And it always works best when it's in the context of friendship. And then you have your sort of like closer group of friends, and they may know some, but not all of what's going on in your three. And then you've got your wider group of friends that know even less, but still something. And all of us need those different places of friendship, but we are not being healthy if we don't have the, the real safe place. And a lot of what I'm sharing about in the brief amount of time is that I want you definitely sharing in your safe place. And then that leaks out into your friendships as the trust is there. 
And then that, what happens in this church family is that you're on a weekend away and someone over dinner says, so how have you found today? You start to, I think Howard's exhortation at the end of the session was so helpful to, to actually give some honesty, to talk about how you're really doing, breeds this sort of vulnerability and openness in the culture, which is so attractive to those people that, you know, the world is desperate for a place to be known. And the church of all places is where we accept and love one another, especially those different from us and those that are struggling too. So my great hope is that you would have this in place in the everydayness of life. Any questions about those two things, spiritual disciplines and life on life, one anothering? Anything you want to ask? Okay, so spiritual disciplines really are any activity that you use to become more Christ-like. They're categorised in lots of different ways. The two most common ways are sort of disciplines of engagement, where you start doing things, and the disciplines of uh, taking away. And so you stop doing certain things. So silence is taking away speech. It's just being quiet. Frugality is taking away luxury. Chastity is taking away sex. And you, there's a whole list of fasting, taking away food. And then you've got the list of engagement, which is when you start doing things. Where you start to perhaps uh, memorise some scripture. Or you start to uh, go on a weekly run. Or you start to, and you use that time intentionally to chat with God. There's not a comprehensive list, but these are th- all things that Jesus did to become the man that he was. So if you're not sure in the spiritual disciplines, to immerse yourself in the life of Jesus, you see the things he did to develop his relationship with God. Bar one, the only spiritual discipline that Jesus didn't do, repentance, confession, that sort of thing, because there was nothing to confess. But in every other thing, you'll find examples, generally speaking, broad categories of those things. There's a whole teaching there in terms of what each one does and things like that. Howard can do that another day. Yes. How do you stop the thing you're trying to overcome becoming the thing? Um, I think that's where other people can really help. And so struggling on your own, we, like our hearts are very deceitful. And the more you look into what you're really thinking and why you're thinking it, you can just, there's no end to it. And so other people can provide like a helpful perspective. And that's why community is so important. For me, I, I come from a, a family where it was all about doing to earn approval. And my stepfather was incredibly strict and the only way I could get his approval is by doing everything on the list. And so this resonates a lot with me because that's how I can view God. If I don't do these things, then he doesn't love me. And so the thing becomes the thing. And most mornings, I preach the gospel to myself and I remind myself of the grace of God. And I remind myself, I, I literally sometimes just speak the truth about what I'm doing and in fact, Lord, this time does not earn anything in your eyes. What I'm doing as I'm fasting or whatever, 
I feel like it's earning me brownie points, but I'm declaring now. I'm truth is, you've your son Jesus has earned this. So I'm just I, I'm trying to unpack my lies and announce the truth, and I'm concentrating on the grace of God, and that helps me. What I would encourage you to do is chat about the thing to someone else and ask them to help you find ways to deal with whatever the lie you're believing about the thing to help sort of get it out in the open and expose it. Because we're talking so, I don't quite know what your thing is. Yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, Andy. Yeah, no, I don't struggle with that at all, no. No, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. That's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. So how do you deal with it? Not becoming legalistic. How do you deal with pride? The legalistic thing for me sometimes is wrapped up in we think the spiritual disciplines are just hard things and the thing you don't want to do. Yeah. And actually sometimes the, sometimes the very thing you need to do is a really good thing, an enjoyable thing. And so I often make it as easy as possible for myself to engage in the disciplines. So I'll get up and like, what do I need to do? Uh, the last thing I want to do is sit on my bed and read my Bible. I need to go for a walk. I need to get out. I need to do something else. I need to listen to some worship. And obviously there are times where you need to be disciplined. But I would say, so a little top, tri- top tip is that I've got a very sweet tooth. And so all my quiet times involve chocolate. So unless, uh, un- you're there. Some of you are like, I'm in. I'm praying with you tomorrow. Yeah, you're in. So unless like, God's speaking to me about my addiction and all that sort of thing, generally, you know, I sit down with a cup of tea, some dark chocolate in the morning. That's like, I know it just works for me. And I, and I just find, I want to, you know, God's wired me with certain passions and certain things I love and they're really good things and so just saying they're bad things I must stop all the things I enjoy in order to do the right thing that's not right so I try and make it as easy as possible and it's about not seeing the disciplines as just the hardest thing sometimes it's the easiest thing because they're things in your power that help you by doing it repeatedly get somewhere you can't do it can't get in one jump that's a short answer definitely and that's why you've got to pay attention that's why you've got to recognize what's really going on that's why you need community to help you because we're all we're, we all struggle we're either suffering from legalism or we're struggling with license and just doing whatever grace of god god loves me you know we're walking those two things the way you deal with it is recognize the way through you know a big deal with Christianity is, uh, and becoming more Christ like is the more aware of your issues you are the more you have to acknowledge them that they won't go away just by themselves you have to go to God with them so I have an issue with food so that's just one of my issues I really don't treat food normally when I talk to other people and I can't just stop eating food and I can't just overeat and I've got to acknowledge this is a weak area for me and I'm telling everyone about it because I find it shameful and those two components, components confession and acknowledgement 
are very powerful in the spiritual journey. You let others know you struggle and you admit to yourself, yeah, it's an issue, but I can't just wait till I've changed. So don't wait till you've not become legalistic. The way through is doing the right spiritual disciplines that help you become a much more balanced person. So that's maybe a way to think about, I'm a legalist and I want to become someone that's strong in the grace of God. And so I'll practice the disciplines that I need to to become that person. Um, We're out of time, aren't we? Uh, That's fine. Can we do that? Have we got a quick time for that? Yeah, great. So we've got 10 minutes now. And what I want to do is just give you an opportunity to process some of what I've been talking about. And so some of you are in existing threes, and you might have one or two of those people here, and I want you to find those people. And I would like you, if you're in a three, to talk as vulnerably as possible. Others of you that aren't in threes, you'll hopefully know someone here, uh, or there'll be someone that you can go in with, and I want you to share appropriately with that person. So whatever you feel comfortable with. So you need to get to your feet and move around a little bit. And the idea here is you're finding someone you can just hang out with now, or someone in your three... For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.